0: All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. I love that last song. That's a really powerful song. It's a new song for us, uh, but I love worshiping with our band, and that song just really conveys the message of what our faith is about in a really powerful way. Uh, we're really glad that you're here this morning. It's kind of a, a cool week. If you are here last week with us, I loved last week on Sunday morning. We actually combined our two services together for one we had a special band that was here. We had a bunch of baptisms. We had seven baptisms that morning. Uh, so, the past week, we've been kind of living on, reflecting on that and thinking about what God did, uh, but also looking forward in anticipation at some things that are coming up ahead. Uh, Josh and Caleb mentioned already Bloodhound Barbecue is right around the corner. The school year is almost here. Uh, a lot of cool things are taking place with that. I think this is the first year ever that the game falls on a day of Arvindale versus Winterhaven. That's kind of a big game. I uh, was so really excited about that. So either side you're on, you can help out for the barbecue. If you volunteer, you get to come in for free to the game. We're excited about that. But also this week, I'm going to ask you guys to partner with me in something. And that is, we've had uh, our version of VBS Camp RPC here. Our students went to camp a couple weeks ago at Student Life. And this week, I've had a unique privilege to be invited to uh, my friend Kevin Taylor's youth pastor down in, in Naples and his youth group, First Baptist Naples, is having their camp this week. Uh, they're taking about 400 students up to Camp Geneva, and he's invited me to come in and speak for that for that camp all week long. So if you think about it this week, particularly about eight o'clock at night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, uh, be in prayer for me and, and really pray, I want to see God transform these students' lives in a supernatural way. So if you'd partner with me in that, I'd appreciate it. Some really cool things taking place. Uh, we've been kind of in the midst of this series. We've given it a little bit of a break the last couple of weeks because of some other stuff we've done. Uh, but today we, we continue with Origins. We'll get to that in a second, but have you guys ever seen... A, a couple that as soon as you meet them, not necessarily physically, their physical features are different, but their personalities and everything about them, they're polar opposites of each other. I think we all probably can think of a couple who that's who they are. Uh, maybe they look like, maybe they don't, but man, their personalities, when, when we use the phrase opposites attract, we think of this particular couple. For me, every time I hear that phrase I think about a, a family that when I first started going to church, so for me this is going back almost 20 years, and when I first started going to church, there was a family that went to that church that for me was the epitome of, man, opposites attracting each other. Their names were Al and, and, and Lucille Daltrey. They were an older couple. Even when I got to know them, they were probably in their mid-70s at that point. And to understand a little bit of this story, you have to understand the church that I went to at that point 20 years ago was vastly different uh, than Ridge Point Church. It's a very traditional Baptist church. And so everyone showed up, even myself as a college student. We're expected to show up in, in coats and ties and ladies all wore dresses. And, and, and I, I remember this couple because I, I grew to love uh, Mr. Daltrey. I'll, I'll call him Al. I grew to love Al in, in a very unique way uh, because on the outside, he presented a very rough exterior, like, he was okay with that. He wanted everyone to know his wife was the sweet one, and he was the rough one, and he was okay with that. So when he would meet you, he'd have kind of this gruff voice and this gruff personality, and he was okay with you perceiving. Now, I knew Al to know deep down inside he had a, a gentle heart, but on the outside, he was very, very rough. The first time, it was at that point in my life that I felt called to, to preach, and, and so the pastor said, J.J., I'm going to give you a Sunday night to come in and speak, and, and man, Al, if nothing else, he was faithful. And he was there every Sunday morning, he was there every Sunday night. But literally, as soon as the music began, everybody, uh, the, the worship leader got up and said, everyone stand with me and we're going to sing. And it was piano and, 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 and organ driven. And, and, and everyone else would stand up, except for Al Daltrey. And Al would sit there with his arms folded, just watching everything. And, and he would kind of lean back in his pew a little bit and just kind of be like this. And he would sit like this for three quarters of the service, every service. Because about three-quarters of the way through the service, about halfway through the message, Al would fall asleep every service. And he would fall asleep, and his arms would slump over, and he'd kind of wake himself up, and, and that just was kind of who he was. And so the first time I was invited to speak on, on a Sunday night, uh, I come over, I'm kind of greeting the doll trees, and, 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 and Al comes up, he says, J.J., you have 30 minutes. Because at 31, I'm going to get dinner. Like, like you have 30 minutes, that's it. And, and he presented this very, very gruff exterior But I knew deep down inside, he had a very sensitive heart. He had to because of sweet Lucille, his wife. As rough as Al was, Lucille was the sweetest, kindest, gentlest person that you could meet. And I remember in particular, when I first started going to church there, I didn't know who they were. And we would typically sit over on the right towards the back of of the church. And and over, they sit on the left towards kind of the middle section of, of the three different sets of pews that they had. And they'd always sit over there, and, and I could see. And, and for the first couple of months, I'm watching, man. As soon as the music began, everyone stood up. I used to think there was like a skylight directly above Lucille's head because it was like, man, the sunlight was shining off of her as she's singing. And I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, dude, what, what is that? I, like, is there a light right on? I don't understand. Literally, I, I believe radiating through her pores was the love that she had for Jesus. And just the way that she presented herself, the way that she sang, she always had this big smile on her face. No matter when you saw her, she always had this smile. She always just radiated literally the joy of Jesus in her life. So much so that a couple of years into this, I eventually became, I I wasn't a youth pastor yet, but I was a volunteer youth leader. And I put together this event where we're just going to go around. We had a lot of Older people in the church, we're going to go around and we're going to just go to their houses. And it was around holiday season, so we're going to sing Christmas carols, go caroling to these different houses. So we loaded up the van, and I said, I want to make sure, no matter what else we get, we told people, hey, we're going to come between six and eight o'clock or whatever it was, five and seven o'clock. And I want to make sure, if we don't get anywhere else, anybody else's home this, this night, I want to make sure we get to the Daltry's house because I know it's going to mean a lot to her. And so we said, let's go there first. And so we pull up at the Daltry's house, we knock on their door. And Mr. Daltrey answers. And as soon as he answers, he kind of rolls his eyes a little bit. And he's like, Lucille, the kids are here. And he, he says, hold on a second. She's in the bathtub. And I said, Mr. Daltry, it's fine. You know what? We have some other houses we got to go to. We'll come back because I'm sure it's going to be a process to get her out of the bathtub and all that stuff. <clears throat> go ahead and take care of all that you need to get done. And we'll come back. He's like, no, no, no. Come on inside for a second. And so he invites myself and all of the students into their kitchen to to as he goes and talks to his wife about what's going on and so i'm kind of here and like we're sitting there like what, what are we gonna do this is kind of awkward like i feel like i'm invading their space now like we're just planning on standing outside at the front porch and sing some songs and and now we're in their house and and the wife's in the bathtub and i'm not even, like what's gonna happen and so i'm just like let, let's just leave like and mr Daltrey comes out he says hey it's okay she really wants to hear this so i left the bathroom door open go ahead and sing I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, 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 fortunately, there was a long haul. So the, but, but it was like this, this image that I didn't, we're singing, and this, this older lady's in the bathtub right now. Like, I don't, I don't want to think about this. And so, so he's like, no, she really wants to hear you guys sing. And so I turn to students, I'm like, all right, guys, as quick as we can, let's do a couple songs. And, let's, and, and so we sing our songs, we get done, we wish you a Merry Christmas to end it out. And I hear Mrs. Daltrey back in the back just squealing with delight at this thing that we're doing. And you could literally hear through the joy that she had. You could hear the joy through the walls as she thanked us for coming. As awkward as it was, she was so thankful that we were there. And I saw Mr. Daltrey for those last couple of years that I was there, and well, it probably the last couple of years for life. I'm convinced that she felt like even at her age, she couldn't do the things she did 50 years ago, but she still believed that God could still use her. Despite her limitations, despite her not being able to do some things that she had done before, she still believed, as long as there's breath inside of her, that she could be used for God's glory in some way. The series we're calling Origins is about looking back at the Old Testament, looking at some characters in the Old Testament. And, and as we talked about last, uh, it's been a few weeks, we have some interruptions in there, but as we talked about three weeks ago, God uses normal flawed people in fact our, our flaws are kind of what makes the story so beautiful we have flaws in our story and God uses those flaws and he allows these people leaders like Noah leaders like Abraham that we're going to talk about today to be used to build up his purpose and, 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 and ultimately his people in a powerful way that we're still talking about them thousands of years later he uses flawed people just like you and me to have those stories, to redeem those stories. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about Noah and, and how he was flawed. He made some mistakes. God used him to build the ark, and, and ultimately we're still talking about that story. Out of Noah, he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. From the line of Shem, we see other people that are born, and eventually come to a character in his lineage, a guy that we know by the name of Abraham. He was actually given the name Abram. God changed his name. But we, we, we kind of grow up, if you went to church at all, if you went, maybe didn't go to church, went to VBS, you probably know at least one thing about Abraham. You know this one thing. Father Abraham had many sons. It was so much better. At first, show, it was like two people knew the song, and it was really awkward. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had? That's right. Like, that's what we know. We're like, all right, that's a cool story. What is that even about? What does that mean? I want to look at the story of Abraham's life today. And I want to see that God also used a person who was flawed, a person who sometimes got ahead of God, but he used them in a powerful way. He says, I have a promise for you, and as long as you're obedient to the call that I have upon your life, I'm going to bring great blessing into your life. And so we're going to look at Abraham by doing a couple of things. First of all, we're going to flip beginning in the book of, we're going to look at the book of Genesis chapter 12, and then later on Genesis chapter 16. But we're also using as a commentary on that, over in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there's this great chapter that we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith. These are the, 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 the leaders that are the foundation of our faith. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to kind of be open in Genesis chapter 12, but if you want to keep a bookmark or something in Hebrews 11, we're going to flip back and forth a couple of times to kind of read the story, read a little commentary on the story, fast forward in the story, read that, and then have a little commentary on that. So will be Genesis, Hebrews, Genesis and Hebrews, beginning in, Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12:1 it says this Now the Lord said to Abram Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you So God begins this whole journey by saying Abram I have a plan for you and I'm about to reveal that plan to you I'm not even revealing the whole plan to you yet But you have to go. You're going to leave everything that you know. You're going to leave all the area that you're comfortable. And I have a a, a land that I'm going to take you to that I'm not revealing to you yet. But here's what I want you to know. you got to pack your bags. It's time for you to go. Now, that in and of itself is is a pretty powerful deal. Uh, If you've ever made a journey maybe across the country or across the world, and you're packing all your stuff up and you're leaving behind family and friends, like that's literally what it's saying, it's saying, Abram, I want you to go go from your country, from your people, from your father's house to the land that, you'll, that, that, that I'm going to show you. So he says, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave all that you know to move across the country or across the world, as, as his case would be. Now, that in and of itself is one of the most traumatizing events for anybody to go through. If you've ever been through a cross-country move, you're supplanting everything that you know, sometimes leaving behind really, really close friends And a lot of times you're leaving behind your family to go to an area that you're not familiar with. Uh, One of my good friends letting you know, Kyle McClure, that's one of our worship leaders here. He's getting married in two weeks, and and he's moving across the country to Virginia. And they're right now in Virginia kind of looking around, kind of getting to know their area they're going to be living in. And that's a big deal. That's a big move. And we kind of expect it when people are in their 20s, in their 30s, maybe in their 40s. Like that's a super big deal, but, but we kind of expect it at that point in their life. The thing is, we're about to read, is that Abram is actually 75 years old at this point. Like, it's not the time that you normally say, hey, let's pack up and move. It's not the time that, you know, maybe you're moving into a different house or something, but you're saying, it's not time for me to move to another country. Like, my, my story isn't just to, starting to be written. And that's exactly what God is starting to reveal to Abram, as I want you to pick up I want you to move. Now, Abram, at this point in his life, like, he's like, wait a minute. I'm at the latter part of this, this whole thing. Like, my goal right now, if, if we're like Abram today, our goal, Abram's goal is to say, I want to I retire, move down to Florida, complain about the weather, and drive really slow on Cypress Gardens Boulevard. Like, that's my goal now. I'm done. It's over. I just want to relax. I've done my part. And God says, No. Your plan is just starting to be revealed to you. God wasn't done with him yet. See, here's the deal. When that happens, God's call replaces our something with something so much better. And we have to see that in our life. God's call, the call of God in our life, replaces our something with his something better. And that can take on a couple of different pictures for us. For some, what that means, and we've seen powerful stories like that. We saw a story like that a little bit in one of the baptisms last week where where God takes someone's story that was broken, that was really messed up, and really flawed. And we see this picture of total redemption when this person's life was terrible, it was being torn apart, and God steps in, redirects, alters their life Forever, and we see this beautiful picture on the other side, and we celebrate and say, Man, that is so powerful when God replaces our something with something that's so much better, and it's obvious. But what happens when our something doesn't look so terrible? And because of that, we can't really picture what God's something better is going to be like. I want to ask you to do something, and it's going to require some introspection this morning. If you're a note taker, I want you actually to write this down whatever you're taking notes on. If you're not, I want you to imagine this question in your mind for just a second. But I want to ask you a question. If you were to use one word to describe where your faith is at right now, if I could give you just one word right now to describe what do you think of your faith right now, what would that word be? If you need to, I'll give you two words, but that's it. So if you have that one or two words, describe your faith what would it be now I didn't do this I was going to ask a couple of people beforehand to do this so I get an idea of what people's answers are going to be but I'd venture to guess having some friends and having some people that I'm really really close with if I were to ask most of those, most of those people how would you describe your faith and maybe there's a little bit of humility in that but I think a lot of people that response to their faith would be oh it's pretty good faith's okay my faith's better than average like i think if i asked a good sampling of people that go to church that love god how would you describe your faith i would expect some of those type answers i'd expect my faith's pretty good i'm doing okay i'm better than average i'll ask you a question if you're married and we're sitting down discussing your marriage i would ask you in front of your spouse hey would you describe your marriage for me in one or two words Husbands, you're sitting in front of your wife, and your response is, it's, it's okay. It's, it's pretty good. It's better than average. Is your wife going to like that type of response? <laughs> she might say, That's yeah, it's true. I, I know what he's like, but, but that's, not what, that's not what she dreamt about as, as a young girl growing up. She didn't dream about a marriage where her husband's like, hey, our relationship's okay. Like, what she dreamt about was, I want a relationship that's dynamic, where we get along, where we share each other's hopes and dreams and passions and all those things. And in truth, that's what we desire about a relationship with God. Like, I want a relationship that is, that is dynamic, not a relationship that's better than average. I don't want a relationship that simply is, is okay and we're just kind of getting by. God calls us to a dynamic faith. I'm convinced at 75 years old, we don't know a whole lot about Abram's life before that, but at 75 years old, he probably could have answered, hey, me and God, we're pretty good, we're okay. And God says, but I'm about to step in at 75 years old. I'm only now beginning to write your story. And so at 75 years old, I'm going to alter not just your life, but the lives of your descendants. I'm going to give you a, a sentence that are so innumerable that you look up at the stars and the stars can't match your descendants and what's going to happen in your life. God is about to replace his something, Abram's something, with something that was so much better. And I'm convinced for a lot of us, if our faith is sitting there right now, and we're saying our faith is pretty good, it's above average, it's getting by, God's desire for us is to replace our something, a faith that is okay, with something that is so much more dynamic, something that is so much more powerful, something that is so much more real. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we see the Lord saying to Abram, here's the call that I have upon you, here's what you're supposed to do. And then he gives him this promise. If you're obedient, I give you this promise. And obedience always precedes the blessing of God in our life. And she says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go from your country and do these things. And if you do that, verse 2, I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, listen, here's, here's what I have. Here's, here's the call that I have upon you. And if you're obedient to the call, your obedience precedes the blessings of God in your life. And that you're going to be a blessing. And that you're going to be a blessing to others. But he goes on a little bit further even than that. He says, not only is it going to stop there, but those... But he says this, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, listen, Abram, you're 75 years old, but I'm starting to reveal my plan for your life. Go and leave all that you know. Go and leave your area of being comfortable and being familiar. I'm going to call you to a land that you're not familiar with, the land called Canaan. I'm going to call you to that land. And when I call you to that land, it's going to be awkward, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to bless you in a powerful way. And people that get on board with you, I'm going to bless them And those who bring dishonor to you, I will dishonor them as well. That says in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son. And all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abram says, "All right, God, I get it. Like, the number one thing is I want to be obedient in my life, and I believe that obedience precedes blessing in my life. And so because of that, I want to follow your plan for my life. I believe that my something is about to replace with your something better. And so I want to be obedient. I want to do that. Now, keep a finger over in the book of Genesis. We're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. And we see in Hebrews 11 this, this Hall of Faith chapter, and we already mentioned Noah. But I want us to pick up Abram's story here in Hebrews chapter 11 and see what it says about it. Hebrews chapter 11 says this in verse 8. By faith Abraham, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise." For he is looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So we see two things that are taking place here. First of all, we see what naturally we understand. God had called him to, to a land that he wasn't familiar with. He said, I want you to go, and it's going to be temporary housing for a little bit, and, and you're going to figure out what this looks like. But know that I have a plan that's much greater than what you're experiencing right now in your life. And I want you to be obedient to that physical plan. And if you're obedient, I'm going to bring physical blessing on the other side. But we all seem to pick up by the last verse here that there was something much greater going on. Because he says ultimately he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Like ultimately we realize that we are in a physical world that we live in, and and that as we battle things, we deal with things, that we pray, God, I want to be obedient to you because because I hope on the the other side, towards the end of my life I experience some of the blessing of that. But more importantly, I want to be obedient because I know right now you're designing a place for me that is so much better than anything this world has to offer, and my obedience to you realizing it 's only through faith in Christ that we can actually have salvation, but my obedience to you is going to affect what that 's going to look like. And he says, man I want to be obedient to what God has for my life, and we realize that the world that we live in we 've had some some honest conversations i 've been talking to people even today about man what what do we do with the world that we 're living in now? how do we react? how do we respond? How can we make a bigger difference and and ultimately, we can do things. We can have conversations. We can help out, and yet realize that no matter what we do, and the church should step up, the church should do some of those things, but at the end of the day, this world is always going to be flawed. And so we do our best. We do our part, and we long for the other side. We long for what eternity is going to look like. And so Abram's setting a, an example of what faith is supposed to be. And so they, they travel out from a land they're familiar with to a land they're unfamiliar with. And by the way, just my observation scripture doesn't always say that but most of the time that I've seen people accomplish really really monumental things for God like like in huge ways most of the time I've seen that it's people who are who are really comfortable with where they're at and they're holding on to something that's really really good and maybe they're involved in, in, in a ministry, and they really like what they're doing. They're, they're really, really good with where they're at. And God calls them and says, yeah, but you could do so much more. And the problem is we hold on and say, but, but, but this is really comfortable. It's really familiar to me, and I like this. But sometimes when God says, I'm going to call you, and the call is going to take you from something, from your something, to something that's so much better, it, it looks really good now. And we're afraid to let go of what's good because something that's better could be even more, more powerful in our life, but we're afraid to let go of this. And so Abram says, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave my area, I'm going to leave my family and friends, I'm going to take just my immediate family with me, and we're going to travel, and we're going to sojourn, and we're going to figure out what this looks like, and they go to Canaan, and they eventually go to Egypt, and, and, and he, eventually he and Lot get separated, he comes back and rescues Lot, and, and there's a high priest who gives him a blessing, and there's a covenant with God, and the whole time, he is being really, really obedient to God. But then in the middle of the story, he gets ahead of God, and he says, wait a minute. I know that there's been this promise for me, and one of the promises I have is that my descendants are going to be innumerable, and I'm not seeing that yet. So flip back with me to Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis 16, Abraham starts to get ahead of God a little bit. Now at this point, uh, he's been obedient, and God has promised him this blessing. He's going to have this innumerable number of, of descendants and it's not happened. He and his wife have gotten to be uh, older in years, 90, 100 years old. And, and it says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, now Sarah Abram's wife had borne him no children. And then it says this, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, you might say, okay, why is she being introduced at this point in the story? Like, why does it say that she's not able to have children? All of a sudden, this other person's there like, what is that exactly about but then it says in verse 2, Sarah said to Abram, Behold now the Lord has prevented me from, being able to, from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So imagine this. In the real world today, husbands, you're married to your wife and you believe God's given you a promise of having children and it's not happening. And so your wife comes up and says, Hey, Obviously, I'm not able to have children. It's not working out. So I have this friend. And I think it would be a good idea if we have children through her. And I'm okay. I'm on board with it. Now, if I'm the pastor giving you marriage counseling at this point, I say, brother, don't walk away from this opportunity. Run from it. (laughs) Like, this is danger, man. You don't even go, don't even think about this. Like, Like, when she says this, don't even take any time responding saying, let me think about that for a second. Like, none of that's going to be healthy for your relationship. But not only does Abram think about it, the very next part of that verse is, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Instead of being obedient to God and saying, God has a promise for me, his wife comes and says, hey, I want you to have a relationship with this other lady. Abram says, All right. And literally, this hero of the faith, that's what he does. As you can imagine, no matter what Sarah said, it's not going to go over very well. Verse 3, Abram had lived 10 years. So it isn't like he did it right away. He waits 10 years. Abram uh, is in the land of Canaan. Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived and when she, Sarah, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. I kind of expected that. Because there's two things at play here. First of all, Sarah feels like, man, I wasn't able to have kids, and now this other lady was able to have a kid with my husband. I don't like that. But also the fact that she was physically intimate with my husband, I don't like that. So I think the Bible puts it mildly to say she looked on her with contempt. <laughs> it's probably much more than that. But the point being that, that God had a plan for, for his child. God had this big and, and bold plan. And for the most part, Abram was obedient to that plan. Now, he gets ahead of it and, and God still has a plan. And, and, and for those who feel right now in the midst of your life that maybe God had a plan for me, but I got so far ahead of God that I made some huge mistakes that I can never go back from. God uses Abram right here. And he says, I'm not going to give up on the promise that I have for you. You are disobedient, and that wasn't right, and it's going to cause problems. But your life isn't done. Your story isn't done being written. And so don't give up, because here's what I see over and over, is that sometimes in our life we think there are people around us who are watching us, waiting for us to fail. And as soon as we fail, we think the whole world is in on this joke, and they're watching us, and they're pointing their fingers, saying, ha, I knew they weren't going to make it. I knew they weren't going to fail. And sometimes it's because as a church, we don't respond as we should. If someone in our midst fails, it's not our responsibility to point fingers and say, ha, I knew they weren't going to make it. It's our response to rally around that person, to say there has to be uh, some sort of repentance in their life, there has to be some change in their life. But our responsibility is not to point fingers and laugh and say, I knew they were going to fall. Our response is to lovingly start to build them back up, to put an arm around them and say, what can we do to begin the process of lifting them back up? Abram messed up. Of that, there is no doubt. I think any guy in here who said, if my wife said that, I'd be running away from that. knows that was a huge mistake. But that doesn't preempt God's promise in Abram's life. In fact, we see God later on, a couple of chapters later, come and reiterate the promise. And he actually changes the name of Abram and Sarah to Abraham and Sarah. He says, the promise isn't done. In fact, I'm going to give you a new name. A name that you're going to identify now with with me. Let's flip out to Hebrews chapter 11. And read the rest of this. Because if you know the story, God comes to that point and promises a child still to Sarah. And Sarah laughs says, how can I do that? I'm so old, there's no way that could ever be the case for my life. And God says, no, it's, that is going to happen. You're going to have that child. And, and so we pick up in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable as grains of sand by the seashore. Listen to what it says about Abraham. It says at this point in his life, he was as good as dead. For everybody else, they had written him off. For everyone else, they said, man, this guy's so old, there's nothing else he could ever accomplish with his life. And so even the writer of Hebrews says this is how He's understood. They're from one man, and him as good as dead. For everybody else, man, his story was done being written. But I want us to understand, no matter what challenges we go through right now, whatever it is, because for each one of us, we have a call of God upon our life. No matter where you're at, if you're a child of God today, you have a call of God upon your life. And God's call will always replace your something with his something better. But what happens is we start to put excuses up. And sometimes those excuses come from outside of people saying, you're too old, or you're too young, or you've messed up too much. And people are quick to write you off. But remember this, when those people are writing you off, God is saying, but that's only the first chapter. Your story's not done being written. Maybe you've made some huge mistake in your life. Maybe that's true of you. Listen, God's grace is so powerful it can get you past that mistake and often the voice that we have that's speaking these these lies into our life is not a voice that's external at all it's a voice that we start to believe because we're saying it to ourselves it's a voice ultimately comes from the enemy of god that's trying to convince us you're not good enough there's no way you could ever be used in a powerful way and other people write us off and sometimes we write ourselves off and god says but wait a minute that's only the first chapter you still have a whole lot more of being written. For some people this morning, there's no doubt you've made some mistakes. Maybe even in the recent past, you've made some mistakes. And the best thing that you could do is, is to look at this passage and to see that, man, in, in, in Abraham's life, he had a bad chapter, but he closed the chapter. He said, that chapter is not going to define my life. God is still going to do something. And so he closes that chapter. And for some of you, the best thing you could do is to close this chapter in your life. And say, man, I've made some mistakes, and and I've learned from those mistakes. Now it's time for me to to repent, to change my life. And say, I'm not going to go back to the old way of living. But now that I've made that change, God's rewriting a redemptive story about my life. And that chapter that a couple of years ago was debilitating in my life, will now be a strong reminder years from now of look at how far I've come that God could transform who I used to be to who I am now. And like I said, for some of you, that's your story. That's where you're at right now. For others, it's like I've been I've had an okay faith, but that okay faith chapter, that's also coming to a close. It's time to say I'm not okay with an okay faith. I wanna see that chapter of my life closed and I wanna be challenged in such a way that my faith, man, God calls me To get out of my comfort zone. God calls me to leave my area of comfortability, and it doesn't require us moving across the country or across the world. Sometimes it simply requires us going across the street and having a a conversation with a neighbor. Sometimes it requires me being a testimony in front of my family and close friends that have no idea who Jesus is. Sometimes it requires forgiveness loved one of a spouse for mistakes that they made God calls us out of our comfort zone to do something so much more powerful because God's in business of saying I'm not done with you yet so it says about Abraham that he was as good as dead but from this one that was as good as dead God gives his promise and he gives birth to descendants as many as the stars of heaven as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore it says about all of them, we don't have time to read all of this, but it says that these, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who spoke thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It says about Abraham, this one who was a flawed individual, it says that God was not ashamed to be called his God. Because you know he made mistakes, he was, he was consistent. Enough so that his faith legacy was being passed on to his children. And particularly to Isaac, the son of the promise. No time to read the whole story, but if you're familiar with it, Abraham eventually, Abraham and Sarah finally do have a son. His name's is Isaac. And of Isaac, he's, he eventually is born, and they rejoice. They finally have this child, and it seemed impossible. It was a miracle they had this child. And then God says to Abraham, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. I want you to lay him on the altar and offer him up as a sacrifice. And, and finally, at the end, God does spare him. But up to the point of being obedient, Abraham says, Okay, God, I don't know about this whole thing, but if that's what you call me to do, I'm going to do it. And anybody who's a parent can identify. And the last thing I want is for my children to be hurt. But Abraham comes, and he comes to offer his son as a sacrifice before God spares him. So I'm going to be obedient because I believe obedience precedes the blessing of God in my life. But I also believe that obedience embodied is obedience repeated. Because what I don't think about often when I read that story, but what I have to guess is true is we know by the time Abraham goes to offer his son as, as a sacrifice, that he's at least a teenager, maybe even into his early 20s. So they go, and, and Abraham hasn't let his son in on, on the whole what the plan was. They're just going to offer up a sacrifice, which wasn't all that unusual. But as they come, his son says, wait a minute, where's the animal to be sacrificed? And he says, don't worry about it, God's going to take care of that. And by the end, until the angel comes and spares him, we see Isaac up on the altar. And what I don't think about often, but what must be true is, is Isaac is 15 to 20 years old. His father's 115 to 120 years old. I've not seen a lot of 120-year-olds that can wrestle a 20-year-old up on an altar at all. So it doesn't say this, but by inference, I'd have to assume that Isaac says, Okay, Dad, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to be obedient. Ultimately, we know that God spared him, but I believe that as parents, it is incumbent upon us to start to show our children what true faith in Christ looks like, because obedience embodied is obedience repeated. We want to pass on a faith legacy to our children. We want to be able to say, man, one day I want you to be able to mimic Not that any of us is perfect, because every one of our children will look at mom and dad and say, they're messed up, they're flawed, I know they make mistakes, I don't even pretend to be perfect. I don't want my children to grow up thinking I was perfect. I do want my children to grow up thinking, man, my dad made mistakes, but he loved Jesus and he chased after Jesus with his life. Celebrate, just like that right there. What's what's embodied is repeated our life we want to have a faith legacy then we're truly obedient that obedience is passed on to our children abraham embodied that he did that we celebrate that this morning let's pray father i thank you for people who've gone on before us who demonstrated to us what faith looks like Uh, god every person we talk about in this series they're strong man they're mentioned in hebrews as being these great ambassadors of faith but, God, they're also flawed individuals, people who had made mistakes, sometimes big mistakes. But, God, their flaws don't get in the way of you working in their life. Because their desire was to be obedient oftentimes, more often than not, we see that obedience acted out in their life. God, I pray for our church right now. I pray for us to respond in such a way to say, man, I want my faith to be real. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of just kind of going through the motions. I want my faith to be real because I realize I'm passing on the legacy right now. And all the other stuff we do, it might be cool, it might be good stuff. But I, I want to pass on a faith that is powerful, that is dynamic, that is real. God, let's be about that this morning. If there's anyone right now that uh, maybe for the first time needs to begin having a relationship with you, Maybe they've never called upon Jesus as their Savior. They're saying, man, all this didn't make sense, but, but as I see the call of God in my life, I realize I've been sacrificing His best, trying to hold on to something that I had that I thought was good, and it's failing me. God, if that's someone this morning, I pray they'd simply cry out for Jesus to come in their life, to change them, to save them, to realize it was His death on the cross that paved the way for us to have eternal life, for He took the punishment for our sin and for our mistakes for others who maybe already made that decision. But who's are kind of going through the motions right now, having an okay faith. God, I pray this would be the moment they lay that okay faith down on the altar. We leave something that we held on to that was good and we replace it with your call, which is something so much better. God, give us the passion to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.